Hey, thanks for downloading. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a positive review for me in iTunes. You can also check out my all-too-rarely-updated website at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. Today we will look at the life of Muhammad and the origins of Islam. But I actually want to start with the man behind getting this movie made, Mustafa Akkad. He's honestly not a name I'd ever heard before, and his only two directing credits are The Message and a 1980 film called Lion of the Desert about Libyan forces fending off Mussolini's Italian troops. But Akkad was also a producer on every Halloween movie from 1978 until his death in 2005. Rob Zombie's 2007 remake of Halloween was even dedicated to Akkad. Akkad was born in Syria. In 1949, when he was 19, he came to the U.S. where he studied film and theater. He earned his undergrad at UCLA and then a master's from USC. As a Muslim living in the West and inspired by movies like Lawrence Arabia, it became his goal to make a movie about the origins of Islam for Western audiences. There were political and financial hurdles to clear. The governments of Kuwait, Libya, and Morocco all pledged financial support initially, but when the Muslim World League, basically an Islamic advocacy group based out of Saudi Arabia, rejected the project, Kuwait pulled out. And six months into shooting in Morocco, Morocco gave them the boot too. It was Muammar Gaddafi who allowed Akkad to finish filming in Libya and invested $35 million into the project. Yes, that Muammar Gaddafi, who held dictatorial control over Libya for over 40 years before he was deposed in 2011 during the Arab Spring uprisings. Controversy around Gaddafi's ties to the film may have been a big reason it struggled to gain traction in the U.S. The message did earn an Oscar nomination for Best Original Score. With only two critics' reviews, both positive, on Rotten Tomatoes, it doesn't have enough for a consensus score, but the audience rating is a 92% with over 6,000 votes. Akkad, along with his daughter, was killed along with 58 other people by an Al-Qaeda-sponsored suicide bombing at a hotel in Jordan in 2005. He wasn't the target or anything, just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, I know starting with that is kind of backwards from how I usually do things, but I thought it was important for today's story. As Michigan professor Juan Cole wrote on his blog after Akkad's death, Akkad was an American voice as well as a Muslim one. His death diminishes us all. So a significant obstacle to making a film about Muhammad is that many Muslims find any depiction of Muhammad to be offensive. And why is that exactly? Well, if you'll allow me to oversimplify, I'd say it's rooted in the same anti-idolatry sentiment seen in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Any image of Muhammad could become an object of worship, which is inappropriate and therefore forbidden. Though, despite the uproar we've seen around this issue in recent years with attacks on the French paper Charlie Hebdo and Comedy Central blocking South Park from showing Muhammad, depictions of Muhammad are not universally forbidden in the Muslim world. Notably in Iran, depictions of Muhammad are not at all uncommon and allowed if done respectfully. The Quran itself doesn't directly forbid depictions of Muhammad, though many ahadith do. If I understand correctly, ahadith are basically non-Quran records of Muhammad. But for the message, Akkad did choose to not show Muhammad at all, nor do we hear his voice or even see his shadow. The most we see are the extremities of the camel Muhammad is riding at times. Yet, yes, he is the main character of the movie. 
It does make for non-optical filmmaking, and it is fairly awkward at times, but it's also an interesting challenge to see a cod overcome to tell the story while being respectful of Islamic tradition. So our story today starts in 610 CE in Mecca in what is now Saudi Arabia. We see it as a hive of activity and a mess of idolatry with more than 300 gods being worshipped. We meet one of the leaders of Mecca, Abu Sufyan, who enjoys the economic boom Mecca gets when people from all over the Middle East flock to the Kaaba in Mecca to worship the idols of their particular gods, specifically during an annual pilgrimage. The Kaaba is the giant cube-shaped building you may have seen constantly surrounded by worshipping Muslims. When Muslims face Mecca to pray, it is specifically toward the Kaaba. Since it's always covered with cloth, I was never really sure about the structure underneath, but it is a full granite structure that has been damaged and rebuilt over the centuries. Its true origins have been lost to history, which is kind of cool to think that it's so old we have no idea how old it is. But again, it's unclear how much of the original structure remains, and it's doubtful that it's as old as, say, the pyramids or anything like that. According to Islamic tradition, it was built by the biblical Abraham himself. A huge emphasis of Islam as depicted in this film is that it's just an extension of Judaism and Christianity in many ways. Muhammad was just the next and final in the line of prophets that God spoke through. And that's where Muhammad is at the beginning of the film, worrying his friends and family by holding up in a cave in the mountains outside of town. When he returns after three days, he has to recover from exposure. So we hear the story of what happened from his adoptive son, Zaid, who happens to be the only Muslim other than Muhammad mentioned by name in the Quran. Muhammad told Zaid that Archangel Gabriel came to him and told him to read. Muhammad noted that he is illiterate, but Gabriel repeated that his order was from God, as in the one true God of Moses and Jesus. There is a lot of buzz rippling through Mecca now. Is Muhammad crazy, or is this similar to when God talked to Moses through the burning bush? The leaders of Mecca, again headed by Abu Sufyan, are worried Muhammad is going to anger the many gods of the Kaaba, and even go so far as to offer to pay for Muhammad's silence. While we see Muhammad gaining a modest following, the movie at first doesn't really explain exactly what this message is that Muhammad has been receiving. But he's trusted enough in the community that many believe God has been talking to him. We do then get a scroll Muhammad has transcribed from what God told him, as again, Muhammad himself can't read or write. We see a son convincing his reluctant parents of the virtue of what Muhammad preaches, that no man should starve, that the rich should not defraud the poor, that the strong should not oppress the weak that women should be allowed to choose their husbands and not be forced into marriage. Then there was one that really caught me off guard. God told Muhammad to stop the burial of newborn girls. As I was in shock, the mother in the scene tells her son that the only reason she is alive is because her father had already buried two daughters alive and refused to do it again. She goes into heartbreaking detail about an infant older sister who grasped her father's finger while being suffocated by the dirt piled on top of her. Maybe I'm naive, but I guess I didn't realize the extent to which female infanticide was and is a thing. The references I had previously heard of it were in relation to China's policy of one child per family. It does appear to have been a practice in pre-Islamic Arabia, the extent of which is impossible to gauge. Burying them alive was a way to kill them without shedding blood. It seems most common in poorer parts of the world with harsh living conditions. Families who felt they couldn't afford the burden of an extra mouth to feed if it wasn't a boy who they believed could prove more valuable to the family in the future would kill newborn girls. It is still an issue in India as well, where families who know they will be unable to provide a suitable dowry may kill an infant girl to avoid the future shame of highlighting their poverty. Nowhere seems to publicly condone it, but it is an underreported crime and accurate statistics are impossible to come by. But yes, back to our story today, fortunately, Islam outlawed the practice formally in the Quran. 
which, while we're discussing it, the Quran is simply the word of God as revealed to his prophet Muhammad over the last two decades of his life. His followers who could write recorded and compiled these revelations into the Quran. When asked by skeptics in the film what miracles Muhammad has performed, if we're supposed to consider him as being on par with Moses and Jesus, their answer is that the Quran is Muhammad's miracle. Abu Sufyan and the other leaders of Mecca are now worried about the economic implications of embracing the idea of just one God. The annual pilgrimage brings in thousands of people every year to pay tribute to their god or gods of choice. As they confront one of Muhammad's young followers, Zaid, I believe, about this, it turns into an argument about slaves being equal to their masters. Zaid says all men are equal before God. The elites laugh at this and order their slave to whip Zaid. The slave refuses, even when Zaid insists he follows the order to save his skin. Muhammad's followers later buy the slave to save him while he's being tortured and repeating that there is only one God. Muhammad says, off screen of course, that the time has come to spread the word. His followers take to the streets of Mecca, chanting that there is no God but God, and Muhammad is his messenger. They are met with violent resistance, and the people begin stoning them. They continue marching toward the Kaaba. Muhammad is with them, but always kept off screen. As the non-Muslims prepare to attack them, a new character played by Anthony Quinn shows up to protect Muhammad. Everyone backs down because, well, he's a badass. Many of you may not remember the name, but Quinn is a two-time Oscar-winning actor with credits on his IMDb page spanning over nearly 70 years in the industry. He was in Lawrence of Arabia and starred in La Strada by Fellini. Here he plays Hamza, one of Muhammad's uncles. And the scene here of him coming to Muhammad's defense at the Kaaba seems roughly accurate. They may have just altered the timeline a little. And for most of the rest of the film, Hamza serves as our visual focus for Muhammad's growing band of Muslims. More and more followers are becoming convinced, with one noting, how can an illiterate man go up to a mountain and come down three days later blazing with poetry? We then see the leaders of Mecca torturing and killing some of Muhammad's followers, and these people become the first martyrs of Islam. Muhammad says it's time his followers leave Mecca. They hear they might find refuge in the Christian kingdom of Abyssinia, modern Ethiopia. This was also called the kingdom of Aksum, or the Aksumite Empire. A group of Muhammad's followers go down and meet King Al-Najashi, who will need convincing before allowing members of this new faith into his land. Leaders of Mecca are there as well. They have a good relationship with Al-Najashi, and he initially seems inclined to let them take the Muslims captive. But when the Muslims bring up Christ, the Christian Al-Najashi asks them to tell what they know of Jesus. They tell the virgin birth of Jesus and how he was an apostle of the one true God. This is enough to convince Al-Najashi to let them stay. It's worth noting that this kingdom of Aksum did adopt Christianity 300 years earlier and it was the first state to use the symbol of the cross on its coinage. Back in Mecca, the leaders are growing more and more frustrated. They refuse to renounce all their gods and further take their anger out on the family members of Muhammad's followers who remain in the city. Muhammad's people remain without a home for three years. Finally, the city of Medina says if Muhammad will help soothe over some civil disputes there, they will embrace his one god. Again, the movie seems to oversimplify and muddle the timeline, or I'm just confused. But this long trek to Medina is called the Hijra and is the beginning point of the Islamic calendar. This was in the summer of 622 CE, so 12 years after Muhammad first heard from God in the cave. In Medina, the first mosque is built, and I get the feeling they're combining things here too. The first mosque was built in Medina, but it no longer exists. However, a mosque called the Prophet's Mosque that still stands today was also built around this time and is right next to where Muhammad lived, which seems to be what the movie was going for. Next, they debate what they should add to call people when it's time to pray. Should they use bells like the Christians or horns like the Jews? It is finally decided to simply use the human voice. 
The former slave they rescued earlier in the movie stands on their new mosque and gives the first Muslim call to prayer. If you ever hear this call, basically it's just saying, God is great, there is no God but God, Muhammad is a messenger of God, hurry to prayer, hurry to success, God is great. And I like another line they add if it's the morning prayer. Prayer is better than sleep. Meanwhile, Mecca now begins to seize all the property belonging to Muhammad and his followers. Hamza finally convinces Muhammad that even if he detests violence, they must now fight. The movie makes a point to emphasize Muhammad's instruction that no one must harm women or children or the elderly. Only fight those who have wronged you. This brings us to the first battle of the movie and historically the first full-scale battle between the Muslims and Mecca, the Battle of Badr, which took place in March of the year 624. Along the route that the forces of Mecca took to reach them, Muhammad had wells filled in with sand and then took a position at the wells of Badr, forcing a fight if Mecca wanted to get to the water. The Muslims win the battle, though Abu Sufyan and his men avoid the fray altogether, seeming to sense their disadvantage. Muhammad orders any captured enemy soldiers to be treated as equals. The next battle, about nine months later, the Battle of Uhud, with Abu Sufyan now leading the Meccan forces, does not go well for the Muslims. The movie seems to do a great job showing this battle basically just like it is historically recorded. The Muslims appear about to win when their archers break ranks to loot the Meccan camp. This allows the Meccan cavalry to sweep in unchallenged. Hamza is also killed during the battle by a slave who was promised his freedom if he could take out Hamza with a javelin toss. This is historically recorded as well. The only thing the movie changed was who hired the slave in the first place. The movie leaves out the subsequent attack on Medina itself led by Abu Sufyan and jumps to the Muslim pilgrimage to Mecca and the negotiation of a 10-year peace treaty between Mecca and the Muslims. The truce is broken after two years, and in 630 CE, Muhammad leads 10,000 Muslims who take Mecca virtually unopposed. I know this seems rather abrupt, but again, things are happening gradually over months and years, with Muhammad constantly gaining support and Meccan resistance constantly weakening. Both in the movie and reality, Abu Sufyan himself finally embraces Islam and goes on to become a prominent leader in the early years of Islam. In the final scene of the film, Muhammad approaches the Kaaba on camel. We see only the camel, not Muhammad. He smashes the idols of all the pagan gods and claims the Kaaba for the one god. Our same former slave who gave the first call to prayer in Medina climbs to the top of the Kaaba and gives a triumphant call to prayer at what is now the goal destination for all Islamic pilgrimages to Mecca. Muhammad died just a couple of years later and is buried at the Prophet's Mosque in Medina. There was an immediate disagreement over who was the rightful heir to Muhammad that ripples to this day with the Sunni and Shia divide in Islam. The vast majority of Muslims are Sunni, but Shia is dominant in certain countries like Iran and Iraq. The entire Arabian Peninsula was united under Islam during Muhammad's lifetime, and the Muslims continued to expand and conquer in the decades after Muhammad's death. By 750 CE, under the Umayyad Caliphate, the Muslims controlled land from Spain and North Africa in the west to northern India in the east. Elsewhere in the world at this time, the nearly seven-century-long series of conflicts between Rome and Persia finally come to an end just four years before the death of Muhammad under Emperor Heraclius of the Eastern Roman or Byzantine Empire. We actually see Heraclius briefly in today's movie when a messenger from Muhammad invites him to embrace their new faith. A few other notes on Islam and the film itself. The five pillars of Islam you may have heard of before are 1. Knowing and believing that there is one God. 2. Praying five times a day, which serves as a constant reminder that no matter how busy your life is, God comes first. 3. Giving what you can to charity. 4. Fasting from dawn to dusk during the month of Ramadan. 
And five, a pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in your life, provided you are physically and financially able to make such a trip. The movie The Message probably has too many non-Arab actors in principal roles, a lot of Americans and Brits. Anthony Quinn was Mexican and part Irish. Though I guess Musafa Akkad filmed two versions at the same time, so there does exist another Arabic version of the film with different actors. There are nearly 2 billion Muslims worldwide today, and now is not the time to get into any modern debates over the role of Islam in the world. I would like to paraphrase something I remember political pundit Andrew Savage saying on Real Time with Bill Maher a few years back, don't presume to describe someone else's faith. I know I've just been describing the origins of a faith that I have no first-hand knowledge of, but I would never presume to speak on what that faith means to individual Muslims. With that, I think we're ready to move on. Next week, we're back in China during the Tang Dynasty, which began at the same time that Muhammad was spreading his message. It'll be another change of pace with the 2010 film Detective D and the Mystery of the Phantom Flame, a somewhat supernatural mystery leading up to the crowning of Empress Wu, the first and only ruling empress of China. (laughs) ¶¶